This is Tommy's Outdoors 117. And today we are staying in Alaskan theme. And we are going to talk mainly about fisheries management and human-wildlife conflict as it pertains to fishing. And in the second part of the podcast, we are going to talk about uh, fish carcass handling uh, and you know, how to handle fish once you catch it so the meat is of the best quality. So that part might be very interesting uh, to anglers out there. Um, so uh, our guests to discuss these subjects are Sina and Rich Wheeler. They are third-generation fishing family, and they're not only fishing, but they're also running a business called Sina Sea, and the link is in the description of the show where you can where they supplying fish directly from their boat straight to your door well um i understand that uh my european listeners which arguably uh, m most of you are uh, listening to this podcast from europe might not avail for this service but there is uh, all you american listeners i know you out there is about 20 percent uh our listeners are in america and the episodes like this probably more you can check out Sina uh, Sea and order uh, your, your package of uh, fresh fish. Um, but for everybody else and, and mainly for you know, the environmental aspect of this podcast, in the first part, uh, we focused on fisheries management, human-wildlife conflict, and how does this look in Alaska. Um, and and uh, you know, I had an opportunity to ask uh, questions uh, because many times on my podcast, the it, it came up that uh, America uh, is like a goal has like a gold standard in fisheries management and fishing management. So I really welcome the opportunity to dig a little deeper and find out. Uh, so folks, that's it. Uh, I'm sure you will enjoy this episode of the podcast. And as usual, if you want to help me and support the podcast, leave the rating five star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful. Uh, and you can, if you want to go an extra mile, you can buy me a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com slash Outdoors. The link is in the description of the show as always. And now, without delaying that any further, Sina and Rich Wheeler and Sina C. Sina and Rich Wheeler, welcome to Tommy's Outdoors. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. Folks, you are third-generation fishing family um, from Alaska. Well, not we had a little bit of a discussion uh, where you're from. So maybe you just uh, get, get a, give us a little introduction. Uh, we're from Washington State, the Seattle area, so the, the Pacific Northwest. And we have been fishing generations out of from there so my grandfather lars immigrated from norway oh, to wow. ballard and this is a it's a little town of norwegian immigrants in the seattle area so there's it's a lot of fishing families and at at the time there was a lot of norwegian spoke at there and so he's 
he came over and did that. And it, as his brothers came over, they all got a boat and started long lining. They would fish from um, Alaska all the way down. We have the old fishing logs. They would fish from Alaska down to Mexico. So they fished quite a bit and um, really kind of started the family that way. My um, my dad entered the family a lot like Rich. He was the son-in-law of my mom, my mom's husband. And um, he carried on the tradition. Um, my, my uncles fished, my dad fished, and then Rich uh, married into the family and he started fishing on my dad's boat, broken on my dad's boat, which was a uh, they fish the old Norwegian traditional ways. So he got to break in and, and kind of learn those ropes, which, you know, nowadays is um, you don't see as much anymore. So it's kind of, it's kind of a special way to start with, with that, with that traditional in breaking. Um, and then he fishes for salmon and he does the long lining as well. And he's been doing that for how long? Uh, going in, this is my 24th year. 24 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And do you think it, it gave you any sort of advantage or different different viewpoint when you were starting in this this sort of like a traditional because I presume it was like a traditional old school way of fishing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hands down. The way that I was brought into the fishery was uh very traditional in the sense that, you know, a lot of pride in your work. Um and I will tell you that it was really hard. <laughs> it was uh the term greenhorn wasn't used as a really uh, uplifting thing. And um I <laughs> earned um you know my stripes i guess more or less and and today looking back on it i'm very thankful for it. these guys really you know uh they were hard on me uh but taught me a trade that i today i'm you know i feel like i can get on any boat and, and really uh be a, a participant in what we're doing you know and, and i have a trade that i can always provide for my family too and a work ethic yeah it's a, a way of working what's my dad's quote about the son-in-law uh, which which one? There, the skipper's daughter. Yeah, there's nothing lower than the skipper's daughter's boyfriend. And that's what <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, yeah, and it was. I was reminded quite often as as spittle is coming at my face. And, he was a yeller. Too. Yeah, yeah, he was a real yeller. And so I, you know, it was. And I was reminded by the crew. And and so there was obviously uh, nepotism runs deep in in any fishing uh, community or family. Uh, and there was no difference in, in ours and, you know, very honored for the, the opportunity, but I worked for, you know, everything that we, we got from there. So there was like a, um, small traditional boat and then you kind of move on from, from this to your, to run your own, own business. And I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, uh, pretty interesting. And, in, you know, the sense that, um, uh, seen his dad was a real visionary guy and, and very generous, uh, for and very thankful to the crew that he had. And he retired at a really early age and was able to uh, set us, his crew and myself up for success with, and we were, you know, th this whole IFQ concept uh, was new. It just was incepted in 1995. What, so what is IFQ? Individual fishing quota. Okay. So, you know, which is set by the federal government. We know how many pounds uh, I get to go out and catch. And, um, you know, it's, it's a whole complicated thing on how it was all developed, but, Seeing his dad um, in, I think it was 99, 2000, you know, had announced oh, yeah. that he was going to retire and the crew bought, you know, uh, his quota. And then we bought the boat and uh, we all co-opted our stuff together and, and made a go of it. And 
it was really successful. And it's a difficult, hard business to be because there's, you know, a certain pecking order. Uh, there's a reason that there's called a captain because somebody has to be in charge. And, you know, so it, it all flowed really well. And we were, you know, we did it for about 12 years. And then I, I moved on and uh, I, I took my quota with me and, you know, was very thankful, and you know, to the guys on the, the Alrita and, and everything else. And, and you know, like you're, you're, you're doing this thing that you're kind of letting people, allowing or enabling people, I guess is the word, to get a fish straight from the boat to their door and to their table. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, you know, I almost feel like there's like a two episodes of the podcast in one because I have a, a lot of, a lot of questions related to, you know, environmental stuff and the fishing itself, but then also about the, you know, fish and nutrition and preparing fish and all that. So, uh, you know, we, 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 we'll, we'll get to, we'll, we'll get to all that. Um, you mentioned this in individual uh, fishing quotas. So this is something I am really interested in. Uh, and especially, you know, uh, to, to majority of my listeners who are based in Europe, uh, I can't even count episodes in the podcast where we said, well, really the way the fishery is managed and the, the, the environment is managed and fishing is managed in the United States, it's like a gold standard. It's, you, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, bad and ugly to that as well. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and this, you know, like I said, came up many times in my podcast, And, you know, I had a, uh, on the podcast both commercial fishermen who are still, uh, you know, uh, fishing on trawlers as well as, uh, you know, ex-commercial fishermen who are now running charter boats for anglers. And they were all in agreement with that. So can you lay it out uh, to us, you know, how are the, how are the fisheries are managed? How, you know, um, the, those quotas are uh, decided in, and then which is probably the most significant aspect of it, how it is being enforced, uh, you know, that, that the quotas are not, not being, you know, overfished. So they go out and the federal government is heavily involved in, in these fisheries. Uh, and not only that, but the state of Alaska is where I, I fish. Um, and first I started my career, I fished off the coast of Washington for uh, several, several years, for, well, for about 12 of my years. And where it was managed under the federal uh, government, also. And that's combo. You would do Washington and Alaska. Yeah, yeah. And one one system was uh, more of a tier, uh, where you would, you know, it could go up and down. Uh, whereas uh, up in Alaska, it was an IFQ, the individual fishing quota, that was set by the federal government. Uh, they took recommendations from uh, their scientists and everybody else there. The halibut commission is involved for, uh, particularly for halibut. This is a commission that has been underway for uh, well over a hundred years now. Wow. And so there's a lot of science behind this and how they uh, arrive at the final uh, TAC, which is a TAC, which is a total allowable catch. Um, I'm not going to you know, BS you and tell you that I understand it completely, but they have a formula and they've done a fairly decent job of uh, managing the fishery, in, in my opinion. Um, I think that there's some things right now happening out in the ocean that, um, in my short career, and I'm going to compare that to, you know, Cena's dad's career at this point. And uh, there are changes and differences in the ocean, but the, the government has really done a good job of staying out ahead of it and, uh, um, you know, doing things such as, you know, letting us fish with pots right now. And we're seeing an absolute boom right now with our black cod. 
there is so much black cod out in the ocean right now. Halibut is, uh, you know, really well managed and, and doing well and really well. So there is, it's cyclical. It comes, uh, it ebbs and flows. Uh, some years are really good. And then we might string together, um, you know, five or six years of really good fishing. And they do a good job of, you know, adjusting accordingly. And really, I guess just the fly, you know, 10,000 feet view, is. I think of it as a pie. The total allocation, what they're doing is um, they're increasing or decreasing the total allocation each year. So they're they're using the whatever data they can get. A lot of it is catch data yeah. and how long it took to catch that fish or where it was caught. The ocean is into cut into sections. And then um, each year we find out before the fishing season um, if our quota. So everybody owns their own quota. You have like a, a mortgage you pay on it. Uh, and so everybody owns a slice of the pie is kind of the way I think of it. So each year they take the pie and say, well, it's 10 percent bigger based on our data or it's 10 percent smaller based on our data. So every fisherman, it, whether you own a tiny slice or a big slice, it's just all moving proportionately. Um, so that in that way, they can do this total allowable catch, the TAC you're talking about. And it and it um, kind of affects everybody's slice of the pie, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, this is this, this is particularly for, you know, halibut and black cod, you know. And uh, then salmon is totally different. Yeah. And sa salmon is managed under a different uh, management and by a different uh, government agency. And and tell me, folks, how does it work? The um, when when the when the fishery uh, commission or or you know whatever the name of that body is um, works on these quotas, are there subject to you know lobbying and and pressures from different pressure groups, or is it or is it pretty much like closed off and they're they're coming out out you know based on. Um, you know, only science or whether it's a science plus input of, you know, uh, like I said, pressure groups who, you know, lobbying and might impact that be because that's, that's, that's a, uh, I guess, aspect, which, which I uh, personally, you know, uh, and not personally even, but is the aspect that uh, doesn't work that well, especially in the EU where fishing quota is one and the scientific evidence is, is one. And then the quota is getting set up, you know, like four times, five times over scientific recommendation because of a lobbying, because of a pressure groups and so on. So I, I'm, I'm really curious how this, how this, that, that works. Uh, well, I, I as, as I wring my hands to uh, try to figure this answer out uh, diplomatically, I uh -huh. am probably I I would probably wager that I'm probably more on the side of what you're thinking than not, and I think that there is some uh, definite lobbying going on uh, because there's a lot of money at stake here, uh, and I think that oftentimes it's probably true there is some lobbying going on, you know, uh, and I'm not I don't want to specifically pick on any specific fishery because I'm just making a an educated guess, right. I, and. But I think that there is. But I think it's that, not like it goes up every year, regardless of the data. I, I, I think that there are some policies down. that yeah. happen that are taken in that are really controversial and that might not be the best for every single fishery out there. And, you know, uh, this bycatch thing that we're dealing with, whether it's uh, king salmon, uh, halibut or black cut, it's a really hot topic. And uh, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, there's livelihoods at stake. There's the environment at stake. And... 
you know, um, so it, it's really challenging and, and I won't bullshit you and tell you that I understand it completely. Yeah, this is always messy situation and, and, and you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the closed doors. And, you know, like you said, I think it's it's inevitable that some of that is going on always, especially, like you say, where there's a, a lot of money at stake. But then there's always, you know, the other question, you know, how much, you know, whether whether those quotas are, are kind of pushed, you know, one or the other side, you know, 15% or they push like 400%. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Now, in that, I, I will say that uh, I am involved in the, the Copper River salmon fishery where my livelihood is never considered in the, uh, the preservation of the run is always first at hand. And that's managed by Alaska. And that is managed by Alaska, Alaska, which is a really, you know, and as we're having this conversation, I'm, I feel like a ping pong ball right now because um, I'm on, you know, kind of one end of the extreme to the other end. And uh, we, we try to find our balance somewhere in the middle. And it's really challenging at times because, um, I know, I really feel that, you know, um, you know, my ability to go out and fish, uh, with a gill net, um, offers scientific data to the scientists. And at times I might really disagree, uh, very handedly with the scientists because we're not allowed to go out and fish and we don't even know what's going up the rivers until seven days later when they hit the first sonar. Well, and that's the thing the salmon is managed totally different than the halibut and the black the halibut and black cod are in the middle of the ocean on the bottom of the ocean so the de the data you can get for them is really different it's very deep um then you have salmon that's managed for one thing by alaska state and has always been managed for conservation and for sustainability mm -hmm. and then the fact that salmon is counted as it returns into the river So they can actually count the fish as they're returning, but they can't count them out in the ocean. So it the the type of data that they're managing with on salmon is completely different than the halibut and the black cod because they're doing it on migration, on the return. So they're counting the salmon going up river. So it's all about escapement and how many salmon have gone up river. So they're actually managing it real time with actual numbers of salmon going up river. Um, and then that turns on or off the the fishing that's happening downriver. So it's it's um, and that's not definitely not a quota system. It's an open and closed system, be, depending on the actual numbers of the return. So so they're managed really um, differently, which is which is good because they're they're caught. The data is really comes in really differently. Right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, can you briefly explain that uh, that bycatch? Uh, because I, I haven't heard like what's uh, what's a particular uh, regulation. I know about the bycatch that we're um, the the issue that is going on here, which is probably similar. Where um, when you when you catch the fish that above your quota, you need to basically discard the fish. And then on one hand, it, it's supposed to discourage of fishing ab above the quota, but then you essentially that fish is dead anyway. Then why are you discarding? Is that a similar thing? Very similar, very similar. But we can go out and buy. Uh, you can sell off your bycatch or uh, the amount, the level of what you can catch your your bycatch. So there's a there's a lot of different ways around it, and, which is the, I think the real frustrating part for myself. 
that's you know frustrated maybe with the whole entire system. You know, we're talking about lobbyists at that point, and that's the one area that they seem to have the the grip in. Um, in in my opinion, on the bycatch. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know like uh, and and here again, I don't want to you know pick on any specific fishery, uh, but you know uh, possibly trawlers might catch uh, a large number of king salmon. But this is an industry that also, you know, uh, to the federal government and to the state of Alaska. I mean, these people are heavily regulated with, you know, observers. So I'm sure that by the time this information gets to me, it's, you know, folklore at this time where they've caught, you know, uh, 75,000, you know, uh, copper river king salmon. And, you know, they're in the bottom of their trawl and, and everything else. And I, how factual that is, I'm, I'm, to be quite fair and honest, I would probably err on the side of, it's probably not happening uh, to that extent. But I do think that there's probably some abuse that has happened. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. And you, you mentioned, you mentioned trawler. So, um, you know, and, and what I'm exploring here, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in similarities or what's similar or what's, what's different. Um, so you're obviously operator of a of a small boat, I, I guess it's, it's, it's counted as a, as a small boat. And I'm kind of using terminology uh, that I'm familiar with, and I'm not, you know, feel free to to correct my terminology how how you folks speak about it. Um, and but I remember that w I, I had a I had on a podcast a a trawler man, and we talked about um, conflict with uh, seals in particular in Ireland, which is which is quite uh, big. Uh, <clears throat> and he, the, the, there is a clear, I would say, conflict here between. Uh, owners and operators of small boats and so-called big boats, uh, where there's a, you know the quota and and there's like a like a you know big factory corporations almost those those big boats and you know how much quota is is that also a thing is is that also like a point of friction between um, you know uh, small operators and quote unquote big boats or does it work differently? I think it's it uh, it works differently. You know, uh, the system is set up to uh, be an advantage to each vessel size. And there's different classifications like, uh, you know, for instance, this IFQ, uh, there's different vessel sizes. Like we have, you know, A shares, which are for big boats, uh, B shares, which are for 60, you know, 60 feet or more. And then you have uh, C shares, which are below 60 feet. And then you have D shares, which are, I think, 35 and below or something like that. It's, so they're, they're, uh, they're set up and, you know, really the whole system is pretty ingenious for the fact that it gives every user group an opportunity. Uh, and I've never felt like I'm out there competing with, you know, a 125 foot vessel. Um, you know, that's just me personally. And the people that I fish with have never felt that way either. So it's, um, it, we, we kind of fish in different areas too, you know, uh, sometimes we might, uh, we might be out, um, you know, I think I've been out fishing off the coast of Washington behind a trawler and a, a catcher processor. And, you know, a lot of our fish are coming up with, you know, the, uh, the heads of, you know, a perch or something like that. But beyond that, not very limited access or, you know, interaction with the big boats. No. And, you know, I think that your the system that you just described is so much more sophisticated, uh, that it allows for that. You know, I, I remember it was probably last year, I, I'm probably going to butcher the numbers, but it was something like five biggest boats were allocated like 80% of a catch quota mm. and, and all the rest 
had a you know remaining 20% which which you know it it was discussed on the political level you know like how, how is it possible like a five biggest operators have 80% of a quota right so uh, it, it's 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 good to hear that at least you don't have these these sort of uh, issues and, and and listen and just uh that's just a w- last i think question in this in this um vein you mentioned that those um co- catches or or i guess these things are supervised and 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 watched and can you tell tell us how does that work because the last thing i know uh i i heard is like the each boat has a like a number on the on the roof on the on the on the wheelhouse and then there's a you know like an air from the air either airplanes or whatever checking who's out and who's fishing which is, you know, again, something is completely not happening here. So can you explain that, how the supervision and how the enforcement of those quotas work? Because I guess that's another thing, right? You can have the best quota system in the world, but then if nobody can check that and actually enforce, then, you know. It's... Yeah, so we, uh, oftentimes we have an observer that comes out with us. And when you come into port, you call a number and, and it's a random, you know, you get an observer this trip. So oh, really? Have- Yep. yep. So Is there actually a guy on the boat? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so now they're, you know, because of, uh, and, and this has been a, a real interesting process. There's so many things that uh, in my, you know, 24 years of fishing in my short career that, you know, this whole industry has really changed and it's, it's pretty, it's cool. And because, uh, you know, we have vessel monitoring systems on the boat now, uh, which are cameras, as soon as the hydraulics come on, uh, the, the camera comes on and then is filming every fish that comes aboard and you have to take this hard drive and send it to them at the end of the trip. And then somebody goes and reviews it. And so, uh, and then you'll, if you don't have that system, you can opt to have an observer with you, which is another body on the boat, which is kind of, it's a little bit cumbersome at times. Uh, yeah. if you're yeah. a smaller boat. Hey, what is this guy doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they get a bunk, they get fed. Yeah, they, they're, yeah, they're the just boat. another crew, another body on the boat that you know takes up space. So uh, you know they are there, and you know so we'll get observed probably you know as many as well. It depends; it's all random, anyways. But you know I've been on boats where we've had observers for you know three or four trips. So and they're up every counting hooks, counting the bycatch, really you know measuring, and they're contracted with the federal government to you know return this data and. So it's real life, real time data collection. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's something that when we have an observer come aboard, everybody's, nobody's like jumping up and down going, yes, we got an observer. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of these things, uh, you know, today it's something as we're talking about, it's, it's pretty, we're, I'm proud of it, you know, that the state of Alaska and the federal government, it's, you know, we do this. And it's normal. It's, it's normal it's to normal. get an observer. It's yeah. not a big, huge deal. It's just, they yeah. do what they do. And sometimes we get a really cool observer, you know, and, and that uh, somebody, that, that, you know, somebody new to grin at, particularly if you've been with these, you know, jackasses for, you know, five or six weeks and new face to grin at and somebody <laughs> tell you a new joke, <laughs> and, you know, uh, and so it's wow. fun. Wow. I, I didn't realize it, it, it goes to this length. And, and I think this is the biggest thing uh, to actually have a, uh, method of enforcement and, 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 you know, observing this. Uh, yeah. So, that, so there's, there's a difference right there. There's, they're not enforcement. They're not the fish police coming out with you, but they're just there to observe and then report back. Uh, so there's, you know, they're not going to, you know, tell you, no, you cannot 
set there or you know anything like that i've heard stories that that happening but um really you know they're just to, there to observe and they're collecting okay, the but, data. but then so it's how many hooks how many hooks and how much fish so it's it's probably data on multiple levels but some of which must funnel to the quota system absolutely yeah. for the next year you yeah. know the they're looking at how much effort it takes to get that quota you yeah. know they can look the next uh -huh. at the previous year and go well, all the fish was caught but was it caught in one month or was everybody out there for you know yeah. months at a time trying to catch it so that that like rich is talking about how many hooks were in the water per per fish and things so it, it's it, they're looking at bycatch and all kinds of things but they're also collecting that catch data right mm -hmm. if that's mm -hmm. fair and then they're looking at uh, they have planes and stuff. Yeah, not, not as much for, you know, the Coast Guard might be out there cruising around, uh, checking your documentation and make sure that, you know, your safety stuff is all, you know, in order and uh, you're not out there endangering, you know, a crewman, you know, crewmen's lives and everything. But, and then for salmon, which is not the quota system, they'll have openings and closures. So they'll fly over and yeah. they'll be looking for nets in the water and nets out of the water because there's timelines. Yeah, net length of nets and everything else. So but I guess the observer, you know, will observe if, 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 if you would be doing something illegal or someone would be doing something illegal, yeah. then the observer will obviously observe and then someone else will come yeah. and enforce. Or... Exactly, well, then you'll get a ticket in the mail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you get a ticket uh, in the mail. And you don't want to mess with an observer. I mean, it is like oh. a federal law. You do not mess with these people. You are as nice as pie to them. And, you know, you really treat these people with uh, the utmost respect. And listen, is there is there also a thing going on that that um, fishermen are, are treated a little bit like a bad guys by environmental lobbies that, you know, like an environmentalist who, who, who love oh, sure. nature and all that. And just sure. they, they just, you know, don't like fishermen. Like, oh, they're depleting our rivers and our seas. I'd say there's a general assumption sometimes that we fight just that oh you're a fisherman you're you're not you can't be an environmentalist or you can't be pro sustainability and it's like well that's just really short-sighted thinking if, if you're in our world of fishing families we care about sustainability we want to fish for generations so fishermen are when you're up uh, you know fishing in alaska it, it it could be hot for you know eight days in a row and people Oh no, 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 it's too hot. What about this? I mean, everybody cares about the fish and what's going on and sustainability and they want fish returning year after year as much or more than anybody else does. So I think that there's this kind of common assumption that that um, fishermen in general, um, you know, just want to um, catch as much fish as they can. But really the, the world we live in when you're dealing with um, fishing families and um, career fishermen, generational, that's not the idea. The idea is to keep their livelihood going, uh, which depends on healthy stocks of fish. So I, you know, everything we found, fishermen are, always want healthy stocks. Um, so I think that, I think that that's the, the common assumption and is really what we find is people are very much more distant from the fishing industry making that assumption. Plus, I think that, you know, sometimes I feel like just the terminology, whereas um, it's all called commercial fishing. You know, we're, when Rich is fishing for salmon, he's on a small boat himself or with his family. One guy, you know, 
And these are all small boats. There's no big boats catching salmon. There's not factory trawlers or anything like that. Yet it's called commercial fishing. And and you can show images of, of really, really big boats. And that's the same term. So to me, some of it is very much terminology where it would be really nice to um, kind of have this small boat fishing or this a different um, terminology for what we do. You hit, you hit the nail in the head. You hit the nail in the head because this is, and, and again, you know, I ask this question because I'm, I'm curious about it with, with all the um, regulations and observers and all that that you just described. I would, I would imagine that that, uh, you know, could mitigate that conflict a little bit. But you, you hit the nail in the head that often this is like all these, you know, these feckers emptying the oceans. And then you have, you know, super trawler that hoovers everything, right? And then you have a, a small boat operators like you folks, right? Like like people who, who fish off the, you know, coast of the fishing village that I live. And they are as affected and they as much hate those big super trawlers that are, you know, not, not even... Uh, you know, they're coming from different countries or, you know, like a, like a, a I think Dutch or, or, or um, they're only operated like they have a, like a Dutch flag or Lithuanian flag and they're going to Australia or somewhere. And, you know, like everybody knows, like once this trawler is on the, in, you know, in these waters and the, there's no point going out there fishing and, and the fisherman knows that. So this is very important distinction. Um, and, and, especially since a lot of you know people very environmentally minded are listening to this podcast uh i think it's a good moment to actually you know like like you said you 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 folks are almost closer to recreational f fisher you know anglers who are really want this fish to co keep coming rather than the operators who just you know they can move halfway across the world uh you know hoover everything and move up to the next big thing right right so. and i don't know do you see those big big books i, I don't very know. seldom i mean we're you know out in the gulf they, it happens we have you know the, the trawlers are going to be of course the easiest low-hanging fruit to pick on and we do same right. out there and it, and uh it's it is frustrating um just for the fact that you know as you say they they do hoover everything and we don't know the environmental impact that at the end of the day that you know, they have, uh, I know that there's some technology that, you know, that industry is using to lower their impact on going over the bottom. And, but, um, you know, it, it's generally, um, I, I'm respectful of other fishermen. I've had, I think, uh, one guy that I was introduced to here recently that I, you know, he was talking to me like, Hey, I was wearing a sweatshirt that had some fishing whatever and he figured out that i was a fisherman and, and he comes and talks to me and he says oh yeah i work on what you know for this big company i'm like we'll work on a, a trawler and i'm just like i turn away and just walk away i was just like i don't even want to talk to you so, <laughs> so you know and, and that's uh me not representing my company or seen at sea or anything like that's just my personal you know i was just like eh, i don't I don't really think much of you. Yeah, yeah. in yeah. our world, we get to we can kind of draw that that line that um, distinction. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But they they also subject to the same regulations or like this A class or whatever that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, and and uh, but there there's there's the slippery slope with this bycatch, and that's where these guys have figured out what to do and how to do it. And 
So uh, like they're getting more bycatch mm-hmm, than, mm-hmm. and they can sell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you know, like no system is perfect. No system is perfect. You know, like like you know, it's like like crime. It's in every country, right? It's just a it's just a question how much, and how often, right? So so, you know, imperfection uh, takes time. You know, like uh, for instance, to you know, uh, in my career here, um, I started fishing, and the sperm whales were a really big deal, and they would lay up against the boat. You know, when we're hauling gear, they're and, waiting for the the fish. Yeah, and it was a, a you know a real uh, real cool deal. You know, to see this this majestic, massive mammal just you know right there, you could reach out and touch them. And uh, where, uh, and then they learn how to take the fish off our hooks, off our lines, and then they really learn how to hurt us and take everything. And then uh, it took a long time for the federal government to figure out. Um, and um, I, I couldn't even begin to understand how much data it took for them to figure out how much fish that they're actually eating. And now we can fish with pots. So now our interaction with this, you know, mammal is really limited and it's a great way to fish. Wow. But, uh, and this is like excellent, uh, excellent segue now to my next question, because you already mentioned like a human wildlife conflict. So like a first one, I, I guess it was a sperm whale, which is the, the last species I would expect you <laughs> fishermen get in conflict with. But I, I guess if there is, is it, is it a big problem overall? Because then again, this is, this is another uh kind of like a like a friction point and tension between environmentalists and and uh and and a fisherman with uh like i said i i i discussed that in length in the podcast um uh conflict with seals here and why i'm so happy to have you on the podcast is that i think that the voice of uh fishermen and 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 like the like the other side is not often heard, especially on a on a on a kind of environmental podcast, because it's usually the side you know of environmentalists uh, heard, and 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 I had a, a lot of you know kind of feedback of like oh I never thought about that. It's great to actually hear the other side, where where again like these people are really affected by you know in this case by by seals. So so. Tell me how's how this how that works. Is is that the big issue? Is it small issue? Is it is it somewhere in between? Is there a lot of conflict? And and it took um, to tell you that um, it would take months out of a man's life to you know uh, go back and rebate that hook that that fish that sperm whale has taken off that hook is not an exaggeration. Well, the the whale would find the bow, and then it's and then you're. You can't move away, right? It's yeah, these whales are follow you around. Yeah, they, they got it dialed in to what's happening, you know. And, and there's so much science behind this, and everything I'm going to tell you is things that I've heard and by really educated people. Um, but you know, like they, they these whales hear you put your boat into gear ten or fifteen miles away, and they hear the food train coming. The it, way you do it when you're about to fish, they know. Yeah. And it's not the hydraulic, it's the the propulsion of your boat going in and out of gear that notifies every fish around or whale around that it's time to come eat. So, you know, here we're fishing. Yeah, we're (laughs) fishing on the continental shelf on you know on the seamounts and 
all these whales are hanging out on the edge and uh, they come and um, just start, they go down your line just like grapes and this huge, you know, 70 foot whale plucking off little black cod one by one. And it was really, really frustrating. And there was nothing you could do. Nothing. Uh, you, yeah. you could run for 10 days and they would still follow you. These were very persistent <laughs> and very smart mammals. And you would just go in. Yeah. I mean, they it, would it, just cancel it. Once, once that's happening, they just have to go in. Yeah. One whale is manageable. Uh, two whales is uh, you're kind of like eh, getting grumpy. Three whales, mm, <laughs> go take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, four whales, it's done. It's like now we're feeding the whales and it's, it's awful. And, uh, <laughs> so now uh, we can fish with pots. And it took a long time to, uh, you know, figure it out. And, you know, out of no discredit to the federal government for taking as long because there's a lot of things involved with this. This is, you know, um, there's a lot of systems at play here. Uh, I'm a real big advocate for it. But, you know, also I can see the downside too. So, but, but- it's... The pots is clever because they're still on a long line. And then if you imagine a crab pot for every piece of bait, it's basically protected by a pot that the fish can swim into. And so it, you know, it, it's pretty smart because then yeah. you, you're not um, sort of continuing to train these whales. They can go off and do their whale thing. <laughs> yeah, and we can do our thing because it's a learned behavior. Right. I mean, obviously. They mean, did, they, did they still try to, you know, pick them up from those, those those spots and then they just can't there's just so dang confused and it's just it's probably the greatest thing to see one of these big bastards swimming away it's, <laughs> yes, thank you <laughs> you know and the pot oh, just, you know, i mean there's so much black cod right now i mean it, it's just like the, the it's awesome and right. the is huge and it's just it's amazing and to bring up a pot with you know 100 black cod um and it's it's great you know and and we didn't feed a whale along the way so yeah i mean like all the fishermen who think that the seals are the problem there you have a, like a big problem like big <laughs> 70 70 feet sperm whale that is the problem that is a problem yeah yeah now seals, now seals on the other hand that's another fun topic and i have some real interesting yeah please please so you know uh the marine conservatory what is it the marine Mammal Conservatory Act or something. I, I, I'm not remembering the acronym. Marine Mammal something. Yeah. It, you know, it's, uh, there are so many seals and sea lions up in Alaska now that it's somewhat outlived its, you know, usefulness. Um, and the, the balance is out of whack right now. That's and the it's, problem. Yeah. Up and down the West Coast of, you know, uh, Pacific Coast, uh, personal properties are being damaged. They're, they're really coming in in groves and, you know, uh, starting down in San Francisco, you know, the, I couldn't even imagine the hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, property damage that this mammal has caused. Uh, you go to Astoria and, you know, they have taken over uh, harbors. Oh, they uh, get up on the, the floating docks yeah. and they're vicious. Yeah. And there's there's so many and they're huge. Yeah. We used yeah. to live down there. You could hear them up from we lived on the hill and you could hear them down there barking, but you can't get by them. Yeah. And then at the at the locks, they can watch them just eating the salmon. Yeah. There's so many. Even if you take the fishing out of it, there's so many just now eating the salmon and kind of um, you know decimating the salmon alone. Just the seals. Then you get into the fishing aspect and and them you know pulling them out of the net. 
Yeah. It's just their amounts are so huge. And there's nothing you can do. They are just one of the smartest, I call them tacticians. I mean, these seals, the sea lions are just absolute brutes. They'll just go, you know, they don't care. They'll just rip holes and look at you and, you know, they're barking at you. But the seals, they're smart. They're tacticians. They have work in pairs of six and there'll be three at one end, three at the other end, and you can chase them all day long and they're just laughing, eating your fish. Wow. So, you know, eat, uh, just suck it. Not even eating your fish. They'll just, uh, they're so smart that they just go up and, bite a hole right in the neck and suck the eggs right out and they're on to the next. So yeah. it's, it's super frustrating, uh, that part of it. But, um, you know, part of what we do is we fish on hatchery fish that I personally, you know, this is my contribution, uh, to my, you know, this is such a socialized business anyway, uh, that much like in the United States, we are, you know, reintroducing, uh, gray wolves into the, you know, the environment. And a lot of these farmers, uh, you know, get compensated for their lost sheep or livestock. Well, what's the difference between, you know, this mammal uh, causing harm on my gear? I mean, right. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many thousands of dollars I spent, uh, tens of thousands of dollars on, you know, net repair, you know. And uh, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, with uh yeah if you if we want them there what about some compensation for the havoc they wreak <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it's a real balance i mean but there's... also we're so concerned about the salmon yet they're the numbers being out of whack just yeah. with without fishing just the number of salmon they eat and, yeah. and why those numbers are out of whack is it is it like uh like a like a sharks like a predators are gone or like what happened very, yeah very much so i think that uh humans were a predator to these creatures also at one time you know, and if you were to talk to the Alaska Fishing Game, which we had a big problem this uh, past year with um, our the commissioner of uh, the state of Alaska, the Fishing Game came into town and he talked to us and he said uh, the seals and sea lions are taking more than any sport fishermen and commercial fishermen. And, you know, so this is things are so far out of whack right now uh, because there's nobody that is hunting these animals anymore. Um, you know, maybe the because they're protected people, because they're protected, you know, but in the, the, the indigenous people, it's just not as much a part of their culture anymore. Uh, and then, you know, the general population, you know, we, we can't do anything. And it's so, the same um, story. Uh, it's the same story. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll put a, um, you know, link to the episode to the conflict with seals into the show notes of this episode. I can't remember number off the top of my head, but, um, after the recording, I'll send you a link to that episode. You might find it interesting because you know, uh, different you know, different country, different place, but pretty much similar problems. And and so, obviously, you guys, I presume, uh, again by analogy, you guys are calling for some sort of a call or control of these animals, and that's that those calls are are falling on a on a deaf ears or. Uh, they're so much protected that you're not even calling for control because there's no point. There's no point. There's nothing that we can do. It's all, it's so also, it's so, so cyclical too. I mean, you know, when uh, there's a big run that comes in, uh, of course, these animals are going to follow that, you know, and then we're left to, you know, have interaction. There's not a single fisherman that I know that uh, revels in the fact of he had an interaction with a, you know, a marine mammal. It's just something that we don't even want. We don't want to see them. We don't want to, you know, uh, catch them in our nets or we don't want them eating fish out of our nets. We don't want to be fishing where they're at. We don't want to go to the rookeries and hang out there. 
um, right. and anything else like that. It's just, uh, we want, but we're all after the same thing, you know, and the, the analogy that Sumi used earlier with, you know, how big the pie is. I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot of pressure on this resource, man. This is, this is all the same. This is all the same. You know, how it works here is, uh, is, is like a fisherman in our, in, in they're, they're calling repeatedly, uh, for call. Uh, you know, so again, seals are are protected. They were at some point almost decimated, so they're they're protected. You can't you can't you, can, you know you can shoot them. You can't do anything. Um, fishermen are calling for call. Uh, obviously, each time they're calling for call of seals, uh, then environmental organizations are going all guns blazing. Um, and you know, there's this massive you know conflict. Um, there are mechanisms, uh, so-called in Ireland, it's called Section 42, that allows you to give um, permission to kill problem animal. Uh, but the problem is with that is that 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 uh, regulation was meant for deer, so you have to um, you, you you have to it, it it applies to a specific animal. So when a deer you know, damages the forestry or damages the pasture or whatever else, they, there's a specific deer and then the ranger comes in, so like, yep, that's a deer, put the section 42 and that, that animal can be killed. With seal, as you know, you cannot pinpoint like, oh, this is the seal that is causing a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, get so, that one over there. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Um, so this is this is ongoing thing. And, and so in, in that regard, it's pretty much similar. Um, so what other is similar, I presume there's also illegal persecution of these animals, right? Yeah. 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 Which none of us agree with. I mean, I, I, um, another example of how far out of whack the system is and really at the end of the day, the only cure for it is, uh, money, um, yeah. is the Columbia river. Uh, we're dealing with, uh, our orcas here in the Puget Sound that eat only king salmon. Uh, and these uh, salmon run up the Columbia River. And w in the way of uh, these salmon are all these dams that are in the way. And, then, and there's been a lot of uh, fish ladders added in. And, and so uh, in our little town here, we even have king salmon. And we live way in eastern Washington in the middle of the dam state. And then live on a tiny little river. And we have king salmon that come all the way up our river. And they find it successful when 250 of those king salmon return at the cost of over $6 million. And it, it's just really expensive. But now we go back up into how much fish has to be produced to get those 250 king salmon up the river when you have seals and sea lions. How many fish you're producing for the seals? Yeah. And that sit at the top. fish ladders at, the, at these dams that are just reaping havoc on this resource. I mean, it, it's uh, because this is all, you know, because here again, we've kind of screwed stuff up and dammed up the river and there's no free flow. And uh, right. it's, it's really it's tough. To go back the, the balance is really, really hard and it's not easy. And uh, I don't envy, uh, you know, the, these fishing game. And, and I do think that these people have uh, the best sides of both. And, you know, everybody's thinking about each other. Uh, you know, now the marine mammals right now, have the upper hand because it's just something that uh, it went so far, the pendulum swung so far over that, you know, they were almost brought to the brink of extinction. So we needed to do something. And so now they have the upper hand. It's time for us to be a little bit smarter and figure this out. And 
So it's, it's almost it's almost like a like a feel good story on one end that they're brought back from the extinction, but then it's like going other way. It's like oh, right, and then it's <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah well you know in 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 the big picture of life uh you know we have also we're talking about more dam removals on you know some of these local rivers around here and i was kind of not really supportive of it and then i had a friend sit me down and and really kind of lay it out for me and uh i consider mankind uh to be pretty intelligent people and we can figure out how to get grain down the dam river better and more efficiently than in a barge. So uh, let's challenge ourselves. And and maybe the right thing to do is to remove these dams. And um, I am just a you know a borrower of uh, this space. This isn't mine. I want to leave this for my kids. And so there there's I think a valid argument for a lot of that stuff. This is super interesting. This is super interesting. Um, okay, let's switch gears now to something a little bit lighter. And and something that um, uh, 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 a lot of people also will be interested in. You want to talk about COVID? Oh, he's joking. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a different episode. That's a different episode. It's <laughs> a human wildlife conflict with this tiny virus. <laughs> Oh, but you know, before before we jump into into fish and and you know uh, cooking and processing fish, one other thing that I, I want to ask you is it, something that you alluded to. Uh, um, I don't remember which one of you earlier on. The changes in the fishery compared to you know twenty years ago and even earlier, uh, because surely you 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 heard uh, what what Sina's father was was telling you. How does it? How does it look like? Is is the is the fishery and the and you know like a fish stocks are are going down are or on the free fall or they're stable or you know how how does health of the fishery looks like and and do you see any changes and and you know what do you think those changes are you know what causes them? And I'm going to jump in and speak to this specifically yeah. and and I really think that right now things are good. Uh, here at Bristol Bay uh, is, you know, we're, we're, they're just breaking record after record after record. And for what reason? Uh, nobody on, knows. On their returns. Yeah, returning on their fish returns. Salmon. Yeah, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. In my lifetime, when we lived in Astoria, uh, I happened to get to fish on the second largest return of uh, coho salmon on the Columbia River. Why is that? I, you know, nobody knows. So uh, there are things that are happening that are really positive, and it's not all negative. And the thing that we have become as humans, uh, particularly in the United States, is we're instant gratification. And we're, we want the information now. And we don't really want to take a look at the big picture of life. And uh, so I, I'm really optimistic about the fish stocks, uh, particularly in Alaska. Uh, but I do think that there are some things happening down here that, um, you know, maybe not as favorable uh, for uh, fish returns, but it's happening. I mean, it, we're, this is a pretty incredible, tough species, uh, or uh, fish are tough, and uh, and they will find a way to make it. You know, um, I, we just need to get out of our way and let them do their business and, you know, not screw up the environment. Well, it's like you're saying with the black cod. I mean, you can see a drop and then you can see yeah. it bounce back. The, the, the levers that are being pulled do make a difference they might not make a difference the next year but in the grand scheme where you know it 
sometimes it feels so daunting. It's yeah. good to remember that. Yeah. So you know, if we keep at it, it. You know, it can make a difference. Yeah. You know, like, like for instance, uh, right now we're in a little bit of a, a crisis with our uh, red king crab, and uh, you know, this is my theory. This is a completely uneducated um, theory, but maybe it's because we have a lot of halibut out in the ocean that are eating the crab. You know, so uh, there's there's so many things are interwound. You know, now and I talked to you about the pots. And, you know, so now here's my theory. This is Rich Wheeler as a fisherman thinking about this as he's back at his bait station. Uh, a pot goes down and it targets a specific species, a predator in the ocean, now swims into a pot and it is removed undiscriminately out of the ocean. Uh, now, before we had hook and line where if you bought the hook or if you bit the hook, you, you know, indiscriminately died. Uh, now we're just removing one species one predator out of the ocean without any recourse to any other predator so what where the balance eventually it, it might get out of whack it's more targeted because you can target with the size of the hole yeah. you target with the depth you target with the bait but being more targeted then you also have to go okay well what's the effect of targeting so well on that species mm -hmm. then what's the then then what is that what's the ricochet down the line effect so targeting i think is always it's good because you can pull back or, you know, you can move, but you still have to be aware of what you're doing. Yeah. Anytime you're affecting one species, you're affecting the, the web of species. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that to, to, uh, you know, speaking out of turn, you know, why it took so long for the federal government to enact pots, it's probably that, you know, so there's a lot to this business and there's a lot to, you know, sustainability and, uh, and I feel really fortunate that we live, you know, in this nation that they do take it serious. And that oftentimes, you know, it, it might take some time. The right things are always done, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I, that's me. I choose, I think both seen and I choose to live in that world where we don't think everything's bad. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And, you know, every, a uh, bit of p positive information is, you know, especially these days is, 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 is very good. Um, so that's that's good. That's that's good to hear. Okay, um, listen, folks. So let's let's shift gears now and let's talk about uh, actual fish and and you know how you're. Um, so so Sina, I, I know you you're 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 a, you have a degree uh, in master's degree in in uh, measuring fish and like measuring nutrients in the fish or omega three. Uh, like, tell us about it. Like. What, that that was natural choice for you, your father being fisherman, and it was like, yeah, I'm gonna go deep into the the uh, like a scientific aspect of uh, of fish fish consumption. Well, it really, uh, for me, it started um, with my degree in nutrition, um, and for me, that was also just a really natural choice. My my dad was a fisherman, but my my mom owned a natural food health food store, so we just okay. grew up with. Um, you know, healthy food and fish. That's just um, normal. So going into nutrition just felt really natural for me. Um, right when I was graduating, um, the way it's set up here is is most nutritionists go into a dietetic field where you'd be in the hospital uh, working working for dietetics. So um, I did my internship in a hospital and realized, nah, that's not really the route I wanted to go. So I took a left turn and went into the scientific route and went into food science to get my master's degree. 
And it's one of those things I was really interested in just the science and the food and, um, and the nutrition in more of a scientific way. But when I went to get my master's degree, it was looking at, well, you have to get accepted by a professor that wants to do research and that kind of a thing. And, and I just saw a post from a professor in the fisheries and, and he said, he's looking for somebody that would be comfortable going on the boat, comfortable at the, with the fisheries. And it was like, Oh, one email, you know, Oh yeah, I fish with my dad on the summers, you know, on the long line boat and things like that. And it was like, okay, done deal. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was almost so easy. It was just, and a lot of things when it comes to fish in my life, it's just like, that's usually just the course that um, the things go. So, so I was hired to do that and actually got a um, stipend or, you know, my schooling paid for to research the omega threes on fish. So that's when we were in Astoria, actually the, I went to Oregon state and the seafood laboratory is in Astoria. Um, what was I kind of ironic looking back at the time we were studying, um, West Coast albacore tuna. So I was studying the omega-3 fat content, uh, where it's distributed in the fish, how many, what is the fat content, you know, more in the belly, that kind of a thing. So that was kind of the, my main thing. And then we also were looking at different handling techniques. So if the fish was bled or if it was, um, you know, hit on the head or how it was, you know, immediately handled on, on board. And then, um, uh, correlating that with sensory. So actually taking that fish then and then doing sensory analysis on it and to say, okay, if it was quickly bled, um, you know, or um, killed in a way that there was no shock or no adrenaline, then the meat is higher quality. So that's kind of what I was doing. And it was really just um, a natural fit from my upbringing in, in the around fishing. So, so I have a, so I have a serious question now um, because um, for one of the first, so uh, uh, you know, like we like we we spoke uh, before we before I heard the record button, you know, I I I only lived for like last fifteen years on the on the on the coast of the Atlantic, um, and and as an outdoorsman, as an angler, uh, you know, I go often fishing on the on the charter boat, and um, the the taste of the fish, like if you catch a mackerel or something, and you you know, spin up like a little cooker on the boat and you fry that fish there. Or even or even you bring it home and that day you 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 put it on the pan and you eat it. The taste of that fish is totally, totally different than the taste of the same fish that you're gonna buy on a in a in a supermarket. And and this and the skipper told me um like look the boat is out for a week. They catch a fish, they freeze a fish before they come back, before they, you know, go to the uh, processor. That's another week before the supermarkets, you know, distribute the order branches. The fish that you're buying on the in the in the shop is at least three weeks old. That's the difference. So please tell us, me and our listeners and viewers. What is going on? Like what? what what's uh, what's the difference? Like what's uh, what's going on? Why why that fish is so tasty and what's happening? Then it loses its taste. And obviously, you also can tell us what is happening nutritionally. I presume something is happening nutritionally as well to that fish, right? Right. Uh, basically, if you think of it this way, I, as soon as that fish is pulled out of water um, or you know killed, it's it's time temperature. 
that's just the clock starts ticking and you cannot stop that clock unless you freeze it. So you have the time temperature. So everybody talks about eating um, the freshest fish, the, the, you know, fresh fish, fresh fish. And, and that's true when you're on the boat. I mean, we eat the, we eat the salmon we catch on the boat and we have this tiny little barbecue it's nothing fancy. It's tiny. And, and we just, it's the best fish hands down. You know, it, it, it just is. So when you're at the store, I mean, same thing. It's just, getting it from the water, then to the processor, then to the grocery store, that time temperature is just ticking. So we have this big thing where, uh, you know, everybody, everybody wants fresh fish, the freshest fish. And we, for C2C, we haven't got into this yet, but what, what we do when we set out and said, okay, we're going to sell our fish. We know we're catching it. We're, we're to have the proper handling techniques. The other thing is it can happen is just letting the fish flop on the dock, on the deck. It's building up heat. It's building up lactic acid and it's bruising the flesh. So just having a fish sit and flop on the deck is you don't want to have that. That's, that's going to affect the meat right there. Um, properly bleeding the fish. So if you get the blood out right away, that's going to affect the lactic acid it will affect. And then the, a really big factor is just how quickly you get the temperature of the fish down. So are you getting it on ice and how are you icing it? So we use what we call refrigerated seawater RSW where it's cold water. It's like a slush ice. And so bringing that temperature down, it's, it's a matter of how quickly in terms of minutes how quickly you get the temperature down on the fish you're going to preserve the quality so i think of it as it comes out of the ocean as perfection all you can do after that is ruin the quality <laughs> you can't make it any better you can just degrade the quality so when we're we're doing scene to see and we thought about this especially with my background when we decided you know we're going to bring our fish that we've done everything right we've handled it right we're going to bring it to people and we want to bring them the best quality that we can. And how do we do that? And everybody's fresh, fresh, fresh. And we just, we looked at, you know, how you can do that. And we bring, bring it to Florida. And our answer was bring it in, bring it to the dock, cut it and freeze it. We vacuum seal it and freeze it at 20 below. And that's actually sashimi or sushi quality. You could eat it raw. But the freezing is the stopping. That stops the clock, and it's really the only thing. We actually wrap in, in parchment paper, and then we vacuum seal each portion. So it, we've been really amazed with the quality. When you just take that fish, as handle it appropriately, freeze it right away, and then the quality. I sent it to my my dad gets a subscription box every <laughs> every month of our fish, and, you know, he's eating it in February, and he – he called me up the first time, the first winter he got it. He said, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's February. I'm eating this fish. I feel like I'm on the boat. Wow. The, the quality of freezing. And it's, it's one of those things where people get in their head, fresh, 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 fresh. And if your supply chain is too long, if you don't live at the coast by the docks, then I would say frozen, frozen, frozen. <laughs> It's that misconception. And then seasonality too plays a big part of, you know, what's happening. And so we've really, you know, stepped up our, our freezing and, and how we maintain, because we also run a processing facility too. 
So we we're like the perfect of perfect of it comes in. We we catch the fish. We process the fish ourselves, you know, in our facility, and then we distribute it. It doesn't get any better than this. So, so folks, t tell me because you're uh, for for our U.S. listeners, you're uh, they can subscribe. You, you said you're saying it's a subscription box. They can they can they can actually buy those fish from you. They don't necessarily need to live next to your dock. Yeah, yeah, that's the real beauty. Is um, it's just in the United States. Um, unfortunately, I'm sorry <laughs> because we ship on dry ice, so we ship it frozen on dry ice. And the, the idea is just really, it, it really stems from how spoiled we already have this fish in our freezer and getting it to people in the Midwest, even the West Coast, where they can't get their hands on Copper River salmon um, unless their grocery store is doing some big special thing. You know, it's, it's just so limited. And so, so for people to have that access and then we ship it to your door. So we have a website and people order. You can order one time. But um, we're seeing a lot more people. We have a subscription option just for just for ease. It's really the easiest. The easier we can make it to get fish to people's door and in their freezer, the more they're going to be able to eat of it. You know, it's sinasea.com, right? That's a. I I, I obviously put, gonna put the link in the in the description of the show. And how long how long that uh, that package can you know travel or how for how long it's good. Like, you know, how, how, how long it can be in transfer, let's say. I would, uh, like, in storage? Yeah, but, you know, where, I, where I'm heading with this, but because for all my European listeners, I'm always saying there's this service called myus.com that gives you, like, a virtual address in the U.S. And then they're, you know, get... So you can, you know, from your perspective, you're just sending to the address in oh. Pennsylvania oh. or whatever else... And then they're they're sending it it over to you know all locations in the world really not only in Europe. So oh, I'm cool. just wondering you know how long that package can travel because maybe maybe you know even my European and UK listeners or Irish listeners can can afford this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what we do is uh, so we freeze it and then we keep it frozen all the time and then we ship on dry ice and the and the really hard thing about dry ice is it's colder than freezing. So it keeps it really premium level frozen, but it's sublimating all the time. So we yeah. ship overnight and we pack with enough dry ice that it can last two days. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. The dry ice is sublimating. And when the dry ice vanishes, the temperature goes up really fast. And so um, that's the really hard thing. And we, we had gel packs, we, it's hard gel packs can keep things cool maybe at a safe temperature for a certain amount of time but they're not going to keep it um, frozen they're really actually defrosting at about the same rate as the fish so it's really hard and then dry ice of course has is um is highly regulated for yeah uh, so probably that wouldn't fly with, with really hard oh, that's no, don't say no let's try it <laughs> let's, let's try get somebody it. You to should, try it yeah you yeah. should try she's it. got these amazing gel packs that are like batteries that you know, stay frozen we for longer. We do have than, some I mean, with, um, what is it? Phase change material below freezing. So I have played around. I, I, now a lot of what I do is about shipping and is about keeping fish cold. Uh, a lot of my efforts. So we do, we pack with dry ice, but we also have these phase change gel packs that we are working with and they aren't, um, 
hazard, you know, the, the dry ice is so tricky, but the gel packs keep it just below. So we use a combination, but it would be really interesting. I need to know how many days, once you order it, how many days it would take the additional, you know, to get over to Europe. That would, it would, it's all about that time and how to keep it frozen. I say we have a contest, you know. We could keep it. I could. One I'd contest. be really confident we could keep it cool, and then you have to eat it right away. <laughs> yeah, we could have a, right now. We could definitely do it with fresh. I mean, so here's the beauty of what we do is, you know, so when we're particularly fishing uh, the Copper River, this fish comes in and it's less than 12 hours old. Uh, we, you know, butcher it, uh, fillet it, and then we cryo back it. So every first we start off with the fish uh, rinsed off in ozonated water and it takes the slime off. It takes the fishy smell away. And this is a, you know, absolutely pristine, beautiful fish that's filleted then and then portioned. And then we use this uh, system called cryovac where it's a uh, much like, um, for me, I think of it as Gore-Tex where it's a vacuum seal bag that allows air out and not in. So the, the fish can stay aerobic. Yes. And so you, you don't, don't want fresh anaerobic. And so yeah. it, it gives you a little bit more, it gives you more time on that fresh. Yeah. So like, for instance, your example. So of, that you know, we could keep cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, so your, you know, your example of getting three week old fish at the grocery store that uh, is a processor uh, on my end. Uh, that's a, that's a, an incredible shelf life that you have referenced <laughs> an example of. Now the system that we use, I would tell my customers you could, you know, expect uh, 14 to 16 days, you know, uh, with the system that we use. And that's at premium quality, at, at premium quality, yeah. premium yeah. quality. I think that's like, yeah. that's a key <laughs> thing. That's, yeah. It's not going to fall off the backbone when you, you pick her up. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and seen as speaking, uh, funny enough, seen as Dan talked about when he first started fishing, that's the quality that they brought down. I mean, so the industry really has changed over yeah. the years due to, this IFQ system. And that's the, you know, right. there we go. That's the segue into quality right there is this IFQ system. Now that we have uh, the consumer gets a far greater product. Mm -hmm. It is much, much better than it was. And it's, you know, uh, whether it's fresh or frozen, I mean, the uh, standards have just changed and you really do get a really good product now. Way back when, when my grandfather was fishing, I mean, they just went out and loaded the boat and they, and you know, they would be out for three weeks. Yeah. And so the bottom fish would be old. They just pitchfork and right overboard. And it, it's just, it was just done differently. And now that's, that's not how it's done. And it's about smaller trips and bringing the fish back. And the, the quality level is, is just got to be, yeah, such a difference. And with the, with the IFQs go out and the fishermen can go on their, their schedule, go in and go out on their own schedule and avoid um, bad weather and things like that. The, the I have the, I have you. I, the, the derby days before yeah. was uh, real different. And I guess that's also different, uh, when, when, when the fish comes from like a sm small boat operators, like you folks, rather than uh, those, you know, big trawlers when they, you know, getting frozen and, and they're staying there in, 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 in the, in the, in the freezing for, you know, like weeks on end. Um, so that's a, that's a huge difference. Um, uh, okay, so once again, sinasea.com uh, for so every, anyone who, who can, uh, you know, is ha lucky enough who can afford that, then they should go and order. I would do so it we myself. Should we, should, we should talk, and uh, <laughs> because I never say no to projects, and it would be a really interesting project. See, I mean, I, I never had heard about the, the 
mailing from the United States over. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a great service. It's a great service because even what you can do, obviously not in your case, but uh, they have a service that you can order from number of uh, shops in in the U.S., and there will wait until all the packages arrive and then package in the one big package and send over. So they they have a lot of a lot of uh, uh, cool services. And I think that when people who are registering for the first time, they have a 30 day premium service for free. And within the premium service, they have some sort of a discount in the first shipment. We we do have, uh, you know, shelf stable products uh, retort. You know, like jars, beautiful smoked salmon in jars and in, in retort pouches. And, you know, so that yeah. probably would, that probably, and, and just, just by the way, for the avoidance of doubt, I am not sponsored by myus.com, okay? I'm not, <laughs> they, they don't even know about me. <laughs> oh, dang it, really? They, they don't know about me, but I, I, would, I would really like, you know, uh, a lot of, provide a value to my listeners. Who can who can who can buy that and and you know at the same time if they buy in Europe then you folks will will get a value out of that as well. So um, listen, uh, two uh, a couple of uh, quick ones. So when it comes to processing fish and and treating, you're you already uh, alluded to that, uh, Sina. For recreational anglers who are you know angling on a charter boat on their own boat, what advice would you give them? to make sure that their the fish that they catch with rodent line is the highest possible quality you know in terms of how to handle that fish and then you know what to do between the time they caught a fish and the time that it uh, lands on them on a, on a frying pan uh, absolutely it's getting that temperature down so you want to handle it carefully um, you know a, a quick kill I, for lack of better words but you don't want it flopping around. Uh, you don't want it building up lactic acid or heat or bruising itself. So being just simply gentle with it and then chilling very quickly. So having a, a the blood. yeah, you want to bleed it and then getting it on the ice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you bleed it? You cut the gills? Yeah, cut the gills. Probably. So we, we deal with a tremendous amount of sport fishing up in Alaska. And it's uh, one of these things that uh, I take this part of the job really serious with the fact that, uh, I respect everybody's money and how much money and time it takes to get to Alaska. And these guys, some of them are on once in a lifetime trip and they come up to Alaska and they catch this beautiful, you know, salmon or whatever species it is. And then oftentimes, and this is no bullshit. I see them dragging their catch down the road on a fish string on the blacktop. (laughs) No. And and they bring it to us and they expect us to work miracles. Well, that's like, and that's the thing. Rich is Rich has the processing facility in Cordova, yeah. so he they do our fish. They do they do sport fishermen. Yeah, and yeah, you would think if you're, yeah. I mean, you're catching a few fish, yeah. really handling that at it's the just like a baby. Yeah. It's just like uh, now we take this and, and you know you want to you know cut the gill, get this blood out of this fish. And as Cena alluded to earlier on, it's really that is where this deterioration, flesh deterioration begins and then getting it on ice, you know, like we provide, uh, we have ice for our fishermen 24 hours a day so that they can, you know, chill their product down, well, whether it's sport come, hot or right. commercial. They can come get ice before they go out Yeah, and bring yeah. the ice out with them. And just because that's, yeah, load their coolers up. And that's uh, makes such a difference. Huge, 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 huge. Handling, not grabbing it by the tail, uh, grabbing it by the gills because you know you you all these little things that I see you know these sport fishermen do and it's just like mm-hmm. 
I know that it probably cost you $10,000 to get up here. And, you know, here you just absolutely decimated that beautiful fish. And now, you know, I wouldn't even serve that to my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got to like treat it with care. If you, if you're holding it by the tail, the, the backbone can sort of separate and then it can bleed out. Yeah. So that's where those, those little things, um, just even how you hold it. I mean, sometimes we can tell just photos of, uh, the way you would hold the fish, even, um, you can see, um, people holding up their, their sport fish by the tail or something instead of holding it with two hands, like a loaf of bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a yeah. that's a that's a really that's a really good that's a really good information. And what do you think about uh, you know those who have a, like a bucket with the water? Because this is what I what I also uh, quite often uh, seen here on the charter boats where where every fisherman has a bucket with this with the salt water, and they just you know unhook the fish and throw it into the bucket of salt water. Cena just told you that the very first thing to you know to consider is temperature. And so uh, here you've you've taken ocean water, you know, in our region, it might be uh, even as warm as 60 degrees, you know. And so now we're taking this fish that we just took out of the water and 60 degrees might be just because you reached down and grabbed it. Now, five minutes later, it's going to be 62 degrees and it's going to be creeping up to you know, the ambient air water. temperature. And now we're, you know, let's do a, a sous vide on our fish right in our bucket right now. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. let's, you know, it's it really does come down to ice. If you can put ice in that water, yeah, yeah. then you you've got something. Yeah, yeah. because and and but the, I I guess that's also that fish. You know, this is it's it's stress and the lactic acid and all the stress hormones probably building up in that fish. In the, but it's probably not particularly relaxed in that bucket. If the it's hole. thrashing in the bucket, the, yeah, then you have a real problem because it it is it's it's heating up itself and it's heating up yeah. that water we we developed a, a bleed tank on my boat where uh, i'm pumping 130 gallons a minute through this tank and we you know i take every fish uh this is my my kids job when they come fishing with me this is what they do and they take the fish they put it into they pluck a gill and they put it into this um this tank where i have high pressure water coming through and the fish bleeds out and the quality is amazing and, you know, then we take it and we pick it up and put it into our fish holds. And, and you obviously also got the fish, right? No, not at not for salmon, not on board. Uh, no, I not for not. salmon, but any other fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For black cod, we do it round uh, because there's, you know, when, once you start getting into several day long trips, like you know, a week long trip, uh, penetration on you know uh, around fishes with less penetrations is better. So they it stores longer. It's better if they don't cut into it. It yeah. just keeps it. Yeah. You just want to bleed it. Get that blood out. And that's that's where the you know your deterioration, flesh deterioration really begins. Okay. In other words, the the advice for anglers is like once you've got the fish, like take care of it rather than you know, because the instinct is like unhook that fish, chuck it in the in the side and just keep fishing to catch more fish, but then that deteriorates the fish that you already caught. So you better take care of the fish that you caught properly, bleed it, put it on the ice, lower the temperature, um, and, and and then you know keep fishing. At least you that that one that you have is a is a is a great quality. Yeah. So hopefully you can have that wonderful experience of you know eating that fish when you get home. You know, yeah. and and it, a great point of you know what you brought up earlier about how awesome it is to eat that fish out on the boat. And oftentimes we try to replicate that at home, and it, you know it really kind of becomes our mission you know and we can really tell the quality of the fish by how wonderful it is at home 
you know, yeah. on our boat because we really do. I want to try to go out and buy the same little turdy barbecue and replicate everything right. that they do on the boat. And right. It, and it's just the quality. Folks, so so give give us give us uh you know all the information you know how to uh, where where to find you, uh, how to follow you on social media, all that jazz. I obviously gonna put all the links in the description of the show and in the in the in the show notes. But uh, for those who are listening to that uh, right now, please give 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 it to us. Yeah, um, I'd love it if you check out the website, senasea.com. And then what's really great, what what we're really active in is um, we have an email list that I I do all the writing and I um, take the time to educate our audience on everything fishing. And we do, we do recipes, but we also do seasonality and, and just talk about the fishing lifestyle. So that's really where um, it's fun to connect with people. Um, so jump on our email list and we have a family cookbook for how we cook fish and things like that, you know, and try to answer a lot of questions. So jump on, you'll see our family recipes, um, get a lot of information about us. And then we're uh, fairly active on Instagram too. And it's, that's especially fun during the season because um, that's where we're showing a lot of um, kind of just lifestyle uh, family fishing in Alaska. So that's kind of fun to um, jump on and, and kind of join us. Well, folks, uh, Sina, Rich, thank you very much. It's, it's been immensely interesting uh, to hear all those uh, things about the realities of fishing, about environment management, and then, you know, uh, handling fish and all that. Thank you so much for being on the show with us and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thanks. Everyone thank to come to Alaska, you're more than welcome. Take care <laughs> uh, of the boat. You know, I, I think that there's so many... Uh, people I met through the podcast in the U.S. that I, I one year I might do like Tommy's Outdoors does the U.S. and kind of uh, <laughs> so then I'm gonna take you up on that. Uh, I'll I'll try that beautiful salmon and from grill. Yeah, you would have to, my business partner uh, who is just a, a, an unbelievable Alaskan, the real deal. Uh, he, you would just well, he's also the hunter. Yeah, he hunts and and uh, he's an amazing. Uh, sportman and and an incredible fisherman and he would just show you the you you would you would leave uh with your cooler full so <laughs> i wouldn't want to leave <laughs> yeah you wouldn't want to leave it's it would be really cool so you're welcome anytime and we'd love to have you and, and folks let's stay in touch thank you so much thank you thanks